Section 57 of Ulysses. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Hogarth. Ulysses by James Joyce. Part 3. The Nostos. Episode 18. Penelope. Part 2. They're all so different. Boylan talking about the shape of my foot. He noticed at once, even before he was introduced when I was in the DBC with Poldy laughing and trying to listen, I was waggling my foot. We both ordered two teas and plain bread and butter. I saw him looking with his two old maids of sisters when I stood up and asked the girl where it was. What do I care with the dropping out of me? And that black clothes breeches he made me buy takes you half an hour to let them down wetting all myself. Always with some brand new fad every other week. Such a long one. I did have forgot my suede gloves on the seat behind, that I never got, after a robber of a woman, and he wanted me to put it in the Irish Times, lost in the ladies' lavatory, DBC Dame, street finder returned to Mrs. Mary in Bloom. And I saw his eyes on my feet, going out through the turning door. He was looking when I looked back, and I went there for tea two days after in the hope, but he wasn't now. How did that excite him? Because I was crossing them when we were in the other room. First he met the shoes that are too tight to walk in my hand is nice, like that if I only had a ring with a stone for the month, a nice aquamarine, I'll stick him for one, and a gold bracelet. I don't like my foot so much. Still I made him spend once with my foot, the night after Goodwin's botch up of a concert, so cold and windy it was. Well, we had that rum in the house to mull, and the fire was in blackout when he asked to take off my stockings lying in the hearthrug in Lombard Street West. And another time, it was my muddy boots he liked me to walk in, all the horses dung I could find. But of course, he's not natural like the rest of the world. That I what did he say? I could give him nine points and ten to Caddy Lanner. And beat her. What does that mean? I asked him. I forget what he said because the stopper sedition just passed, and the man with the curly hair in the Lucan Derry, that's so polite, I think. I saw his face before somewhere. I noticed him when I was tasting the butter, so I took my time, Bartell Darcy too, that I used to make fun of when he commenced kissing me on the choir stairs after I sang Gounod's Ave Maria. What are we waiting for, oh my heart? Kiss me straight on the brow, and part which is my brown part. He was pretty hot for all his tinny voice too. My low notes he was always raving about, if you can believe him. I liked the way he used his mouth singing. Then he said, wasn't it terrible to do that there in a place like that? I don't see anything so terrible about it. I'll tell him about that some day, not now, and surprise him. Aye, I'll take him there and show him the very place we did it. So now there you can like it or lump it. He thinks nothing can happen without him knowing. He had an idea about my mother till we were engaged. Otherwise, he'd never have got me so cheap as he did. He was low times worse himself anyhow, begging me to give him a tiny bit cut off my drawers that he was the evening coming along Kennethworth Square. He kissed me in the eye of the glove, and I had to take it off asking me questions. Is it permitted to inquire the shape of my bedroom? So I let him keep it, as if I forgot it, to think of me when I saw him slip it into his pocket. Of course he's mad on the subject of drawers that's plain to be seen. Always skeezing at those brazen-faced things on the bicycles with their skirts blowing up to their navels. Even when Millie and I were out with him at the open-air fete, that one in the cream muslin standing right against the sun so he could see every atom she had on, when he saw me from behind following in the rain, 
I saw him before he saw me, however, standing at the corner of the Herald's Cross Road, with a new raincoat on, him with the muffler and the zingari colors to show off his complexion, and the brown hat, looking sly boots as usual. What was he doing there? Where he'd no business, they can go and get whatever they like from anything at all, with a skirt on. It, and were not to ask any questions, but they want to know where were you, where are you going? I could feel him coming along, skulking after me, his eyes on my neck, and he had been keeping away from the house. He felt it was getting too warm for him, so I half turned and stopped. Then he pestered me to say yes till I took off my gloves, slowly watching him. He said my open-work sleeves were too cold for the rain. Anything for an excuse to put his hand in near me draws, draws the whole blessed time, till I promised to give him a pair off my doll to carry about in his waistcoat pocket. Oh, Maria Santissima! He did look a big fool, dreeping in the rain, splendid set of teeth. He had made me hungry to look at them and beseeched of me to lift the orange petticoat I had on with the sunray pleats. And there was nobody, he said, he'd kneel down in the wet. <sighs> if I didn't so persevering, he would too, and ruin his new raincoat. You never know what freak they'd take alone with you. They're so savage for it, if anything, if anyone was passing. So I lifted them a bit and touched his trousers outside the way I used to garner after with my ring hand to keep him from doing worse where it was too public. I was dying to find out, was he circumcised? He was shaking like a jelly all over. They want to do everything too quick, take all the pleasure out of it. And father, waiting all the time for his dinner, he told me to say, I left my purse in the butcher's and had to go back for it. What a deceiver. Then he wrote me that letter with all those words in it. How could he have the face to any woman after his company matters making it so awkward? After when we met, asking me, have I offended you with my eyelids down? Of course he saw I wasn't. He had a few brains. Not like that other fool, Henny Doyle. He was always breaking or tearing something in the charades. I hate an unlucky man. And if I knew what it meant, of course I had to say no for form's sake. Don't understand you, I said. And wasn't it natural? So it is, of course. It used to be written up with a picture of a woman's on that wall in Gibraltar, with that word I couldn't find anywhere, only for children, seeing it too young, then writing every morning a letter sometimes twice a day. I liked the way he made love then. He knew the way to take a woman when he sent me the eight big poppies, because mine was the eighth. Then I wrote the night he kissed my heart at Dolphin's Barn. I couldn't describe it simply. It makes you feel like nothing on earth. But he never knew how to embrace well like Gardner. I hope hell come on Monday, as he said at the same time, for I hate people who come at all hours. Answer the door you think it's the vegetables, then it's somebody, and you all undressed, or the door of the filthy sloppy kitchen blows open the day old frosty-faced Goodwin called about the concert in Lombard Street, and I just, after dinner, all flushed and tossed with boiling old stew. Don't look at me, Professor, I had to say. I'm afraid, yes. But he was a real old gent in his way. It was impossible to be more respectful. Nobody to say, you're out, you have to peep out through the blind like the messenger boy today. I thought it was a put-off first, him sending the port and the peaches first, and I was just beginning to yawn with nerves, thinking he was trying to make a fool of me when I knew his tete-a-tete at the door. He must have been a, a bit late, because it was a quarter after three when I saw the two Didalus girls coming from school. I never know the time. 
Even that watch he gave me never seems to go properly. I'd want to get it looked after when I threw that penny to that lame sailor. For England, home and beauty, when I was whistling there, is a charming girl I love, and I hadn't even put on my clean shift or powdered myself or a thing than this day week were to go to Belfast. Just as well, he has to go to Ennis, his, his father's anniversary, the 27th. It wouldn't be pleasant if he did suppose our rooms at the hotel were, were beside each other and any fooling went on in the new bed. I couldn't tell him to stop and not bother me with him in the next room. Or perhaps some Protestant clergyman with a cough knocking on the wall. Then he'd never believe the next day we didn't do something. It's all very well a husband, but you can't fool a lover after me telling him we never did anything. Of course he didn't believe me. No, it's no better he's going where he is. Besides, something always happens with him. The time going to the Mallow concert at Maryborough, ordering boiling soup for the two of us. Then the bell rang out. He walks down the platform with his soup splashing about, taking spoonfuls of it. Hadn't he the nerve and the waiter after him, making a holy show of a screeching and confusion for the engine to start? But he wouldn't pay till he finished. The two gentlemen in the third-class carriage said he was quite right. So he was. Two, he's so pig-headed sometimes. When he gets a thing into his head, a good job he was able to open the carriage door with his knife, or they'd have taken us on to cork. I suppose that was done out of revenge on him. Oh, I love jaunting in a train or a car with lovely soft cushions. I wonder, will he take a first class for me? He might want to do it in the train by tipping the guard. Well, oh, I suppose there'll be the usual idiots of men gaping at us with their eyes as stupid as ever they can possibly be. That was an exceptional man. That common workman that left us alone in the carriage that day, going to Howarth I'd like to find out something about him. One or two tunnels, perhaps. Then you have to look out for the window all the nicer. Then coming back. Suppose I never came back. What would they say? Eloped with him that gets you on, on the stage the last concert I sang at, where it's over a year ago. When was it? St. Teresa's Hall, Clarendon Street. Little chits of missies they have now singing Kathleen Kearney and her like, on account of father being in the army, and my singing the absent-minded beggar and wearing a brooch of Lord Roberts when I had the map of it all, and Poldy not Irish enough. Was it him managed it this time? I wouldn't put it past him. Like he got me on to sing in the Stabat Mata, by going around saying he was putting lead kindly light to music, I put him up to that till the Jesuits found out he was a Freemason thumping the piano lead. Thou me uncopied from some old opera, yes. And he was going about with some of them, sinner fain lately, or whatever they call themselves, talking his usual trash and nonsense. He says that little man he showed me without the neck is very intelligent, the coming man Griffiths. Is he well? He doesn't look it. That's all I can say. Still, it must have been him. He knew there was a boycott. I hate the mention of their politics after the war. That Pretoria and Ladysmith and Bloemfontein, where Gardner Lieutenant Stanley G., 8th Battalion, 2nd East Lancashire Regiment of Enteric Fever. He was a lovely fellow in khaki and just the right height over me. I'm sure he was brave, too. He said I was lovely the evening we kissed goodbye at the canal lock. My Irish beauty. He was pale with excitement about going away or wed be seen from the road. He couldn't stand properly, and I so hot as I never felt they could have made their peace in the beginning. Or old Oom Paul and the rest of the other Krugers go and fight it out between them, instead of dragging on for years, killing any fine-looking men there were with their fever. 
he was even decently shot, it wouldn't have been so bad. I'd love to see a regiment pass in review. The first time I saw the Spanish cavalry at La Roque, it was lovely after looking across the bay from Algeciras. All the lights of the rock like fireflies are those sham battles in the fifteen acres of the Black Watch with their kilts in time at the march past the Tenth Hussars, the Prince of Wales' own, or the Lancers. Oh, the Lancers, they're grand, or the Dublins that won Tugula. His father made his money over selling the horses for the cavalry. Well, he could buy me a nice present up in Belfast, after what I gave him. They have lovely linen up there, one of those nice kimono things. I must buy a mothball like I had to before to keep in the drawer with them. It would be exciting going around with him, shopping, buying those things in a new city. Better leave this ring behind. Want to keep it turning and turning to get it over the knuckle there. Or they might bally around the town in their papers or tell the police on me. But they think we're married. I'll let them all go and smother themselves for the fat lot. I care he has plenty of money. And he's not a marrying man. So somebody better get it out of him. If I could find out whether he likes me. I looked a bit washy, of course, when I looked close in the hand glass. Powdering a mirror never gives you the impression. Besides... Scrooching down on, on me like that all the time with his big hip bones. He's heavy, too, with his hairy chest, for the seat always having to lie down for them. Better for him to put it into me from behind, the way Mrs. Mastiansky told me her husband made her. Like the dogs do it, and stick out her tongue as far as ever she could. And he so quiet and mild with his ting-a-ting sither. Can you ever be up to men the way it takes them lovely stuff in that blue suit he had on and stylish tie and socks? with the sky-blue silk things on. Them, he's certainly well off, I know, by the cut of his clothes have, and his heavy watch, but he was like a perfect devil for a few minutes, after he came back with the stoppers tearing up the tickets and swearing blazes because he lost twenty quid. He said he lost over the outsider that won, and half he put on for me on account of Lenahan's tip, cursing him to the lowest pits that sponger he was making free with me after the Glencree dinner coming back that long jolt over the featherbed mountain, after the Lord Mayor looking at me with his dirty eyes, Van Dillon, that big heathen, I first noticed him at dessert when I was cracking the nuts with my teeth. I wish I could have picked every morsel of that chicken out of my fingers. It was so tasty and brown and as tender as anything, only for I didn't want to eat everything on my plate. Those forks and fish slicers were hallmarked silver, too. I wish I had some. I could easily have slipped a couple into my muff when I was playing with them, then always hanging out of them for money in a restaurant or the bit you put down your throat. We have to be thankful for, for the mangy cup of tea itself, as a great compliment to be noticed the way the world is divided. In any case, if it's going to go on, I want at least two other good chemises for one thing. But I don't know what kind of drawers he likes, none at all, I think. Didn't he say yes, and half the girls in Gibraltar never wore them either? Naked as God made them, that Andalusian singing her Manola. She didn't make much of a seeker what she hadn't. Yes, and the second pair of silkette stockings is laddered after one day's wear. I could have brought them back to Lures this morning and kicked up a row. I made that one change them only not to upset myself and run the risk of walking into him and ruining the whole thing. And one of those kid-fitting corsets... I'd want advertised cheap in the gentlewoman, with elastic gores on the hips. He saved the one I have, but that's no good. What do they say? They give a delightful figure line, eleven-sixths, obviating that unsightly broad appearance across the lower back to reduce flesh. 
My belly is a bit too big. I'll have to knock off the stout at dinner, or am I getting too fond of it? The last they sent from O'Rourke's was as flat as a pancake. He makes his money easy. Larry, they call him. The old mangy parcel he sent at Christmas. A cottage cake and a bottle of hogwash he tried to palm off as claret that he couldn't get anyone to drink. God spare his bit, for fear he'd die of the drouth. I must do a few breathing exercises. I wonder is that antifat any good? Might overdo it. The thin ones are not so much the fashion now. God is that much, I have the violet pair I wore today. That's all he bought me out of the check. He got on the first O. No, there was the face lotion I finished last of yesterday. That made my skin like new, I told him over and over again. Get that made up in the same place, and don't forget it. God only knows whether he did. After all, I said to him, 111, no by the bottle. Anyway, if not, I suppose 100, 111 only have to wash in my piss, like beef tea or chicken soup, with some of that opopanox and violet. I thought it was beginning to look coarse or old a bit. The skin underneath is much finer where it peeled off there on my finger after the burn. It's a pity it isn't all like that, and the four paltry handkerchiefs about six in all. Sure, you can't get on in this world without style, all going in food and rent. When I get it, I'll lash it around. I tell you in fine style, I always want to throw a handful of tea into the pot, measuring and mincing if I buy a pair of old brogues itself. Do you like those new shoes? Yes, how much were they? I have no clothes at all. The brown costume and the skirt and jacket, and the one at the cleaners. Three. What's that for any woman? Cutting up this old hat and patching up the other. The men won't look at you, and w women try to walk on you because they know you've no man. Then with all the things getting dearer every day for the four years, more I have of life up to thirty-five. No, I'm... What am I at all? One hundred and eleven be thirty-three in September. Will I... What? Oh well, look at that Mrs. Galbraith. She's much older than me. I saw her when I was out last week. Her beauty's on the wane. She was a lovely woman, magnificent head of hair on her, down to her waist, tossing it back like Kitty O'Shea in Grantham Street. First thing I did every morning to look across, see her combing it as if she loved it and was full of it. Pity I only got to know her the day before we left. And that Mrs. Langtree, the Jersey Lily Prince of Wales, was in love with. I suppose he's the first man going the roads, only the name of the king. They're all made the one way, only a black man's. I'd like to try a beauty up to what was she. Forty-five? There was some funny story about the jealous old husband. What was it all? And an oyster knife? He went, no, he made her wear a kind of a tin thing round her. And the Prince of Wales, yes, he had the oyster knife. Can't be true a thing like that. Some of those books he brings me, the works of Master Francois somebody... Supposed to be a priest about a child born out of her ear. Because her bum gut fell out a nice word for any priest to write her, and I, as if any fool wouldn't know what that meant. I hate that pretending of all things with that old black scod's face on him. Anybody can see it's not true. And that ruby and fair tyrants he brought me at twice, I remember, when I came to page five. Oh, the part about where she hangs him up out of a hook with a cord flagellate. Sure, there's nothing for a woman in that, all invention made up about he drinking the champagne out of her slipper after the ball was over, like the infant Jesus in the crib at Innishore, in the blessed virgin's arms. No woman could have a child that big taken out of her. And I thought first it came out of her side, because how could she go to the chamber when she wanted to? 
and she a rich lady, of course, she felt honored. H.R.H., he was in Gibraltar the year I was born. I bet he found lilies there, too, where he planted the tree. He planted more than that in his time. He might have planted me, too, if he'd come a bit sooner. Then I wouldn't be here as I am. He had to chuck that freeman with the paltry few shillings he knocks out of it and go into an office or something, where he'd get regular pay, or a bank, where they could put him up on a throne to count the money all day. Of course he prefers plottering about the house, so you can't stir with him any side. What's your program today? I wish he'd even smoke a pipe like father, to get the smell of a man or pretending to be mooching about for advertisements, when he could have been a Mr. Cuffs. Still only for what he did. And sending me to try and patch it up. I could have got him promoted there to be the manager. He gave me a great Murata once or twice. First he was as stiff as the mischief, really and truly Mrs. Bloom. Only I felt rotten, simply with the old rubbishly dress that I lost the leads out of the tails with no cut in it. But they're coming into fashion again. I bought it simply to please him. I knew it was no good by the finished pity I changed my mind of going to Todd and Bum, as I said, and not Lee's. It was just like the shop itself. Rummage sale, a lot of trash I hate. Those rich shops get on your nerves. Nothing kills me altogether. Only he thinks he knows a great lot about a woman's dress and cooking, mathering everything you can scour off the shelves into it. If I went by his advices, every blessed hat I put on, does that suit me? Yes, take that. That's all right. The one like a wedding cake standing up miles off my head? He said suited me. Or the dish cover? One coming down on my backside? On pins and needles about the shop girl in that place in Grafton Street, I had the misfortune to bring him into. And she as insolent as ever. She could be with her smirk saying, I'm afraid we're giving you too much trouble. What she's there for? But I stared it out of her. Yes, he was awfully stiff. And no wonder. But he changed the second time he looked. Poldy, pig-headed as usual, like the soup. But I could see him looking very hard at my chest when he stood up to open the door for me. It was nice of him to show me out in any case. I'm extremely sorry, Mrs. Bloom. Believe me, without making it too marked. The first time after him being insulted, and me being supposed to be his wife, I just half-smiled. I know my chest was out that way at the door when he said, I'm extremely sorry, and I'm sure you were. End of section 57. Recording by John Hogarth, Beijing, China.